The Wrestling Nerds Radio Network presents... Take a seat and buckle up, folks, because Chad Allen, Shelly Allen, Zach Romero, and Luna Lynn are here to violate your ear holes with more indie wrestling, pop culture, and pee-pee humor than you could possibly mentally or emotionally prepare for. You're here for reviews, interviews, nonsense, and more nonsense. It's the IndieCast! This one falls very into the Wrestling Nerds Radio Network that, that I uh. have to ask because... Um, uh, Mr. Grimm here trains uh, mixed martial arts and actually trains at the same mixed martial arts location that uh, our good friend Rick the Sussman Sussman trains at. Uh, well, train is such a loose word. He's getting beat up. <laughs> Other people are actually well, learning that's stuff. Actually my, that's actually my question. Is I, want, I want to try to get an honest assessment of how Rick, of how Rick is doing in his Ooh. MMA training. Ooh, I, I'm oh, very he's improved a lot. Yeah, he's improved tremendously. Um, I'd, I'd say honestly, Rick's biggest weakness isn't really his fault. It's basically because he's got old injuries, right? If yeah. you're familiar, like, and, and that's it. Because if I recall, he got hit by a car. Yes. yes. Um, so he's got a lot of like these random little injuries that if you're familiar with, you can exploit. And <laughs> I am the meanest at exploiting <laughs> things like that in the world. I'm not like I, I. I used to say I'm not really. It's not that I'm extremely well versed in grappling it's just i know how to use what i have and i know how to exploit what people have that's really where my skill set is like i i know that if you get me in your guard you're going to assume that i don't that i'm going to do a traditional escape and if i know a shall we say unconventional one it's not that it would work if you saw it coming it's just you'll never see it coming because it's so insane and stupid you wouldn't think it would work that's, that's like my skill set. I'll do the insane, stupid shit that doesn't look like it'll work, and then I somehow hit it because you're not expecting it. Right. Rick's, and, and Rick is like, he's, he works very hard. He, he's dropped a ton of weight, too. He's, I think he's going to be under 200 pounds uh, pretty soon, if yes. he's not already. Yeah, he's almost, he's almost um, there. I'm getting there. He's almost there. Yeah. And um, again, it was one of the big deals with him is, but I also know like he's got a bad ankle, so I don't <laughs> got to wrench his ankle hard, but if I put a little pressure on it, it's going to get him to move, and I go, okay, I can get out of here. And that's pretty much the only time. The last, I think the last time we, we rolled, I, he stalemated me. He couldn't make me tap out, but he definitely, he, he struck, he was one of those things where like I wasn't getting him either, so he's improved greatly. Oh, he's going to be so proud of right. himself. He's not, like, the, he's, not the, he's not the human punching bag he likes to refer to himself as someday, so good for <laughs> Good for Rick. Well, again, you, we all have that moment because sooner or later you're going to get out there with someone. Like, my whole thing when I started um, was just it, I was bigger and stronger than most of the people there. There, there was a um, – actually, I rolled with uh, um, Felicia. Uh, she actually just debuted for uh, – she debuted for UFC not too long ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Felicia's you know, 146, whatever. She's you know half my size. And there was one point she tried to single leg me, and I literally just gut wrenched her and picked her up and held her no. in the air. And it's in a, in a legit grappling fight. She could probably, you know, break my leg off. But it was one of those things where I was just big and strong. I could hold her up in the air until she tapped out because the obvious possibility was I could throw her. But again, you put us on the mat. I mean, you're all the, everyone's the same size when they're laying flat. You know what I mean? Oh, that's true. Right. And positionally, there's some great moves that are for smaller people to get out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those kind of things. So. Oh yeah. yeah. So uh, I but hit that, Rick. That, but that's kind of, yeah. Uh, I also had Rick send in a couple questions for me because uh, I, I was interested because obviously he knows you very well. Uh, he had one that I have to ask because I don't I, I get it, but I'm interested to get the reaction for it. Uh, he asked legitimately, was Arn's balding head, I'm assuming meaning Arn Anderson's balding head, a great look that gets less credit than it should? <laughs> no. Um, 
and I see why he would ask that. Um, Arn is fascinating aesthetically beyond the fact uh, if you look up a bear, like in the gay community, right. Arn is literally the example they give. Oh, that's probably <laughs> true. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, and that's and that's not a, that's not meant to be a joke. That's not meant to be taken lightly. Legitimately, it is uh, when when they ask like examples of a bear, Arn Anderson is the one that comes up. Also, my husband Chad could yeah. be that definition. Every time we go to a the, pride parade, he gets hard, hit on the hard, super hard. The hardest I've ever gotten hit on was by the the like bear society of of Pinellas County. Yeah, that guy was trying, and I'm like, uh, I'm here with my wife and my infant daughter. I'm thank you, but I, I will I will say this: they really missed out by not calling themselves the Bear Hunters. That's right? true. <laughs> I, that, that seems so obvious. <laughs> Maybe it was too obvious. Maybe that was the problem. Yeah. So. Hey, well, so, so, sometimes the obvious jokes you have to do. I was talking to a buddy of mine. He had, he had he explained to me that he just discovered he was a power bottom. <laughs> uh, and then he, but then he also expressed later in the conversation some trepidation about uh, a guy he was interested in. And I told him, well, are you a power bottom or a cower bottom? <laughs> and oh. it was one of those things, the joke was too obvious I was like I'm not I can't not do it it's, it's the old Mexican or Mexicant <laughs> and this one's a bit more supportive and a bit less negative so I feel like I yes are you a, are you you said you're a power bottom well you're a power bottom right not a coward bottom so so show that power don't be don't be frightened that's right <laughs> walk right up <laughs> just just walk right up to him yeah uh, yeah uh, the other question that he'd sent in wasn't really a question per se, but one I did want to cover. Uh, you um, obviously, Jushin Thunder Liger uh, retired uh, two days ago as of this recording, um, and you had a really uh, a really great uh, Jushin Thunder Liger story on Twitter that I was hoping you could you could retell here because I thought that was it's a fun story. So there, there are three people I was excited to meet. Um, four, if you count Doug. Uh, um, uh, uh, Doug Gilbert, which was uh, another story unto itself. But there were, there were three people I was, I was excited to meet when I worked for WWE were uh, Stan Hansen, Johnny Saint, and Jushin Liger. So after the show, uh, NXT Brooklyn, we won the tag titles. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, get back to the hotel, and me and Liger, like the, the, the elevator could only hold like four people. It was a really small elevator. But I hate New York in part because beyond the fact the whole city smells like piss. Um, it, it does. New York smells like piss, top to bottom. Um, <laughs> and yeah, no, I, that, I think even if it wasn't all Donald Trump's fetish, I, I see why people would think it was because he does probably smell like piss all the time having been in New York. Um, but uh, the, the, the hotel was basically old uh, projects, government mm-hmm. housing that had been purchased and retrofitted and turned into these tiny hotel rooms that they were getting charged way too much for. So the elevator was small. So it's like me, Liger, and maybe three or four, like maybe six people in total, other like office people. So we get on the elevator, and uh, Liger shaved his head a long time ago. Like he, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, he actually had a brain tumor at one point. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, he, he had shaved his head because he was balding, and the hair is just on the mask now. So we're in the, we're in the uh, elevator, and he's like, takes the mask off. He's like, okay, you know, I'm away from fans. And I look at him and I go, like your son, Marks. And he goes, oh, and like puts his hand out in front of his face and he grabs the mask and puts it on sideways and starts like feeling around because he can't see. <laughs> and uh, where this came from was actually Adam Pierce. Uh, I've known Adam uh, for years, like going back to California. Uh, and 
Adam told me a story where he, he said it was a New Japan Dojo, but I don't know if you know if he meant the Inoki Dojo in Los Angeles or if he meant the actual New Japan Dojo in Japan. But he said he was staying there and he came downstairs and in like the common area where they had a TV, Liger is sitting cross-legged in his underwear, eating a bowl of cereal and watching cartoons. <laughs> and next to him is his mask, which he has positioned so it's watching the TV with him. <laughs> And, you know, Adam's, morning, Liger-san, oh, morning, and he goes, Liger-san, uh, why mask? And Liger, like, starts looking around like he's checking to make sure the coast is clear and just goes, Marks. <laughs> he, was, he was prepped in case any random fan happened to, like, burst in through the door. He put his mask on and hide his identity. So I just thought the idea of... Like in that moment, I just that was my reaction was like your son Marks. Like there, there are people on the elevator with us. You have to be careful. And he immediately went right into it. Um, and again, people tend to have this weird perception of not just wrestlers, but particularly Japanese wrestlers, as being overly serious or angry. And I mean, again, it's we're more likely miserable than we are angry. If anything, it's yeah. but you, you you miss that a lot of the the fun is had in just these ridiculous little moments like that where you. I mean, I got to be on an elevator with Jushin Liger. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and there are, a lot, there are a lot of times you get to do that. That's also, cool. when you see him without the mask now, because he's got the shape that he looks kind of like a gnome. <laughs> he, has a, he has a very round face. So he's got this very, like, he looks a little bit like a gnome. It, it's adorable. He's an adorable human being. <laughs> he seems like he would be, quite honestly. Uh, yeah. Just like, like, uh, so cute. <laughs> oh, I, I've heard, the, the, the crazy thing is, I heard the stories of how jacked he used to be back in the day. That his quads, like he used to have, like like thirty five inch quads oh, at one geez. point when he was super. When he, yeah, oh yeah, no, he was like people. Don't, he's only like five five, but he right. was like two hundred twenty pounds. Really little. Yeah, he's tiny. Yeah, well, he was. A, you go back and watch his like mid mid nineties New Japan stuff. You realize he was just a little square brick of a human being. Yeah, right. I, I will. Say, I will say I was a little. I I know I'm in the minority, and I know not a lot of people agree with me on this. I was very sad when I saw the lineup for the, his final match. Or for his, for the eight man tag rather, right? That it was El Samurai, but no Kanemoto. I oh. know Kanemoto's kind of persona non grata in New Japan now, right? But I always hated El Samurai, and I never understood his popularity. <laughs> and I to this day, and I I know nothing about the guy as a person, but like as a fan, I always remember being like, oh, not El Samurai. Like <laughs> anyone else, it could be Super Delphin, it could be Great Sasuke, it could be Shinzaki, it could be Takamichinoku, it could be Black Tiger, it could be Wild Pegasus, it could it could be Kanemoto, it could be uh, like uh, Sano, it could like there were all these great junior heavyweights, and then you had this guy who just he seemed like he should be playing on World Stars of Poker because he always had the, he had the very wispy mustache and right. the very wispy long hair like it looked like he had a receding hairline under the mask and you couldn't see his forehead <laughs> it was just the hair looked thin so and then he would have and then it was always like again you'd see the matches and it wasn't that he was horrible it was I had that feeling of there's some guys I watch and because I'm kind of a snob about wrestling I'll be like it's not that they're necessarily the structure or anything's bad, but like the execution isn't very crisp. Mm. And I'm like, ah, oh, that looked like that looked terrible. And that was always how I felt about him. And so there was that part where he was like, damn it, they couldn't get Kanemoto for this one match. They had to get El Samurai, huh? <laughs> and it's very petty, and it has nothing to do with me. It doesn't affect my career at all. But that was that was how I felt about <laughs> it. 
So, well, Simon, we uh, we end every show with three three imp- uh, questions in particular. Question one is a uh, is the house divided question, uh, also known as the Trevin Adams Memorial question uh, here, even though Trevin is not dead. Um, so uh, that first question goes thusly: uh, It's late at night. You are obviously you've done the drives. Uh, you're hungry. You have a rumbly in your tumbly, as it were, and you're going to pull over to get something to eat. It's super late, but you see a shining beacon in front of you, and you know you're about to be well fed. Is that shining beacon in front of you a sheet or a Wawa? Uh, it depends on what part of the country we're in. Well, and, and we can figure it's one of those areas where there happens to be one on either side of the street. Which way are you pulling in? Uh, honestly, whichever is most convenient. I'm I'm a convenience guy, to be perfectly blunt. Um, even with the fun fact, I don't drive late at night. <laughs> really? Okay. There, there are two types of people. There are night drivers and day drivers. Um, I've never heard of a wrestler dying in a car accident that happened at two in the afternoon. <laughs> That's so also true. <laughs> I will. I will never drive more than my my cutoff was. I wouldn't go more than ninety minutes out after the show because the other thing is, you know, beyond being tired. Uh, Shows, WWE shows usually get out of house shows around 11 p.m. at night. Right. Yeah. So by 12.30, I'd like to be at the hotel, and by 1 a.m. in bed, wake up 9 a.m., plenty of time to go to the gym, come back 11, you get a late checkout, maybe noon, then uh, get your late checkout, you know, have lunch, get your late checkout, shower, uh, drive on to the next town. Usually it's a 300-mile max drive, so four hours. Get there right in time for a call time for the show. Go in, do your match, same thing again. The guys who do the night driving usually wind up, you know, they get to the hotel three, four, five in the morning, get like four hours of sleep because, you know, you got your call, you got your, uh, you got a, your checkout time and then you're stuck with like five hours to, in, you know, Johnson, Mississippi or Jackson, Tennessee or, you know, right. whatever random city you happen to be in that night and with nothing to do. And like, I'd much rather be, you know, well rested and be able to take care of myself and that rather than, you know, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, and then getting into a car accident. I mean, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Brian Pillman, there were multiple, I mean, so many guys who were either injured or killed in car accidents because they pushed the night drives. And I just, I don't believe in it. Man, I would be, that five hours means I was swimming in ring rats, right? Like that's, <laughs> this is, this is why I could this, never be a wrestler. This is, why, <laughs> this is what you care about. I love it, honey. Yeah. Look, I just, look at, at, in, in this day and age, to be perfectly blunt, I, I've been propositioned by far by far more gay men than anything. So that's, <laughs> I just, too much for me, but it, yeah, it's, at this point, there there are no regrets. They don't exist. I don't even believe in the term because my logic was always any woman goodly enough to have sex with you deserves at least a basic amount of respect of being referred to as a lady friend. Right. A lady friend? It's a lady. It's just a lady friend. Yeah, I just, just feel at, like... At least, at least allow that amount of respect. It's like, look, man, you could be sleeping by yourself or you could be sharing a bed with your sweaty-ass gross tag team partner. You're like, who knows? Like, you could be in a lot of uncomfortable situations because you can't afford a full room. So if, if someone's kindly enough to have sex with you, just ha- at least be polite about it. Don't, don't, don't treat them like they've somehow committed a crime for being sexually active. That's silly. Okay. Look, you don't know how I was going to treat these young ladies, don't I'm just saying that I'm going to bring back the, like, Ric Flair, I'm, I'm doing the thing, spending someone else's money because I'm cheap. Also. Oh, no, 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 he was spending his right, own right, money. That right. was part of Rick's no, problem, no. I believe. No, I'm smarter now. I've oh, learned. Yeah, yes. So I've learned oh, from God, the past. Well, I'm not spending I, I my just, money. I, I simply don't approve of the term, that's all. It's, it's yeah. very, it, it's, a, it's, it's a technical thing. <laughs> and again, it's like, at, at the end of the day, it's... It's it's a whatever thing, you know. It's we the, the whole reason people used to use the term of the arena rat was because they were literally just hanging out around the arena. 
yeah. like rats. Mm-hmm. But I, with time, it became a derogatory term, and it's one of those deals where, like, at a certain point, you have to think. It's like, are you, is this really the group of people you want to you want to make fun of? Like, <laughs> I'll make fun of some wrestling fans. Don't worry, I definitely have. I, <laughs> there, there are some that I, I've yelled at people like. We were in Canada. It's snowing. It's like three degrees outside. And they're standing out there waiting for an, or trying to get an autograph. And the show's been over for like 45 minutes. Go home. Because we've all had time to like shower and change and get our stuff together. So the show probably got out at 10, 10.30. Right. It's 11.15. And they're waiting because they want to get an autograph. And they've got kids. And I'm like, yeah, I'm glad your children's health means so much less to you than, you know, getting a piece of paper signed. Right. That you're going to lose on the way home anyway. Like it was, it's disgusting. Uh, Chris Daniels lambasted a guy years ago who brought his newborn son out in the freaking snow <laughs> and wanted Chris to sign the kid. What? And Chris has children. Yeah, Chris has children. And he railed on the guy, just yelled at him. How dare you? Like, wanna... Why are you risking your child's health for for this? this is, it's like no one knows how stupid pro wrestling is more than pro wrestlers. Like <laughs> yeah. no one. No, no one on earth understands how like meaningless what we do is. We entertain, people are entertained; they enjoy it. But none of us think that we're like actually fixing things, you know. So if you're actually risking your health for an autograph, it, it's over the line, and right. we, I'll absolutely call someone out for it. But yeah, if someone's like, "Oh yeah, I've got this Riz at in the town," it's like this, this woman is buying you a meal. This woman's paying for your hotel room, even though you already got your hotel room paid for. And she's having sex with you. She's got a name. At least, yeah, I got a girl in town. Her name's Diane. Okay, right. cool. Hope you and Diane have a good evening. <laughs> yeah, tell, the, tell Diane know. I said hi. <laughs> yeah, tell Diane I said don't, hi. There we go. Don't let her make any of the macaroni salad, and we should all be straight. Exactly. <laughs> we yeah. should all be straight. Like that, that to me is fine. <laughs> so, uh, quest, question two. This is the, the darker one of this one here. Uh, Sadly, in this uh, performance art that we call professional wrestling, we sadly seem to lose a lot of talent early. Uh, with that being said, if there was anybody who is no longer uh, with us that you uh, did not get the chance to work with, uh, learn from, etc., in your career, who would that be? Uh, hmm. That just seems like a really selfish question, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> um, well, well, no, I mean, generally speaking, it's like, who did I get? There were a lot of people I didn't get to work with. I mean, I'm never going to get to work with Liger. He's not even dead. Yeah, I was about to say. I, I think he just retired. I don't think we've. I don't think I've well, read. Any, I don't think yeah. I've read anything bad yet. Jeez, I hope not. So. Oh no! But what I'm saying is, like, is like, I'll never get to wrestle Liger either. I'll never right. get to wrestle Stan Hansen. He's alive. True. Like, there are plenty of guys that, um, as far as uh, the only one that I would have liked to have not, like, that I would have to say I would would have preferred if they didn't die, particularly the way they did, was Misawa. Right. Because he basically died in the worst way possible. Uh, short of going like full Benoit, so to speak. Right. Like he literally died in ring taking a wrestling move in front of an audience. Right. Like that's the worst way it can happen. So that'd be the only one in part because I feel like that, like, I don't know if you ever heard this supposedly, I don't know how true this was. Years before, like four or five years before, Misawa had written a letter with the instructions that should he ever die in the ring, the letter was to be delivered to whoever was working with him at the time. And it supposedly opened with, I am sorry. Aww. Wow. Yeah. Like Again, someone I don't got know that how letter. That's awful. Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, um, Saito did. Yeah, uh, the guy who the guy who re- was wrestling him, uh, Bison Smith, who's actually uh, I gotten to work with a lot when I, early on in my career, who helped train me. Um, he was in the tag match. He was Saito's tag partner. He was on the apron when it happened. Oh, jeez. I, I got and yeah, and Mark was a very emotional. And he he passed away too, and he was a very yeah. emotional guy. So I was like. I checked in on him to make sure he was okay because, like, he's in another country, he's away from his family, and he just saw his boss and friend die in front of him. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that, that's kind of the one. If I could erase one, that would be the one. Mm-hmm. And even, and actually, even, I don't know if, again, Saito, he was, his family was receiving death threats because of it. Right. That's crazy. And they actually, when they did the memorial show, they did, a, I think, a six-man tag. He was in it. You see it the whole time he's on the apron, and he is bowling. He is, like, uncontrollably crying. Mm-hmm. to the point where he shouldn't have been out there right um but that was the again that was the thing is that uh that was probably one of the more because i mean gary albright died in front of like 500 people at an indie show right and they didn't even know he was dead until after the match right. because he had a heart attack during the match and his opponent pulled him on top of him and took the pinfall <sighs> so yeah, but that's like 500 people, and it was like a complete freak accident. It wasn't even off the bump. It was just he was in bad health, and he had a heart attack. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas Masawa was literally, um, from if, what I recall uh, being told by some of the NOAA guys, was basically he'd suffered so many neck injuries over the years that his vertebrae uh, were so misaligned he couldn't tuck his chin. Like, he physically couldn't do it. Oh, jeez. So when he took that the, the, the uh, backdrop driver, he basically landed on top of his head, and it's just severed his spinal cord right like that, that was, it was that simple it just happened so yeah that would be the one I would, that would be the one death I would erase okay. he, not even just for self because I, I got to do a match with him but I, I feel like he had a lot to offer and he was in many ways the sort of he was the figurehead of pro wrestling Noah and I think it would have been much better for everyone involved if he had been able to retire healthy and happy and right. you know yeah. live, live out the rest of his days instead of passing on in such a tragic fashion well final question three and get buckle in here's the fun one uh we here at the indycast believe that all animals in nature uh have certain traits that assist with their survival uh giraffes have the long necks rhinos have the big horns etc etc we believe that the human trait is the ability to use tools so uh with that being said simon Grimm, if you could fight any animal what animal would it be and what weapon would you use And what is on the line in this fight? Uh, I guess it all depends on the animal you're fighting. For the most part, I think it, it's, it's survival. It's yeah. Yeah, survival for the most part. No, and oh, we... that's easy. Oh, okay, Here, here's my choice. A mallet and a mouse. <laughs> it's about time someone went full, like, I, I'm bigger than you. Uh, option. So few Surpri- of them, well, so few wrestlers pick this. Surprising, the only other person that did go that crazy with it was... Um, uh, uh, from Chikara was, um, oh, um, my God, why can't I think of his name right now? Um, he's one of the man, he's one of the, one of the managers from Chikara. Sydney uh, Bacabella. Sid- Sid- yeah, thank you. Sydney Bacabella, uh, was on yeah. the show. And yeah, when Joe we asked, yeah. when we asked him that question, he said that, uh, he would fight a, a kitten with a tack hammer cause he always puts himself over to win. The, well, I just figure if, if, the, if the only goal is if there's nothing on the line except for survival, why would I? Because I, I used to, I once got asked uh, many years ago if I was going to kill myself, how I would do it. And I said I would jump the gate or jump the fence at a uh, zoo and try to fight like a bear or a lion or something. 
And they said, that's horrible. That's, yeah. Why would you do that? And my response was, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to die in a brutal, amazing, huge fashion to where when it's at my funeral, they're like, oh, man, how did he die? Jumped the cage and started punching a lion in the face. The zoo. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, dude, what up? Punching a lion in the face. The lion took his head off. Like, wow, that's crazy. Or, off chance I survive and beat the lion, whatever I wanted to kill myself over, all of a sudden it's like, dude, I beat a lion in a fist fight. <laughs> right. How is that not just the ultimate aphrodisiac of life? <laughs> like, you're at a bar, it's like, oh, hey, bro, yeah, you do UFC? Yeah, I fought a lion once. I mean, I'm still here, you know. I How many fights you win? Yeah, I thought so. I wouldn't stop wearing this animal pelt, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Everywhere I went, Dude, all the time. You would, you would look like Craven the Hunter out of uh, out of uh, Spider Man. I would seriously oh, no, rock it. Screw that! I'm going full. I'm, go, I'm going full King Joffy Jofa from uh, exactly. Coming to America. I'll just okay. have the lion's mane on me at all times <laughs> in an elaborate bejeweled fashion, so you know that I am both wealthy and powerful. And then when you ask about the lion, I will inform you that I killed it with my bare hands. Exactly. So it's like just yeah that. That is also a sidebar. I'm going to take a moment because I know this question wasn't asked, but it's just reference coming to America. <laughs> My idea for the perfect script for coming to America too, which is coming out. So hopefully you're right on whatever this is. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so time has passed in Zamunda, and the reason that uh, Akeem is coming to New York is because he is now a brutal dictator, a la Idi Amin, <laughs> and he's being brought before the world court and being charged with war crimes. And when he's when he's showing up, there's all the uh, the Antifa protesters, and someone hits him in the face with a milkshake, <laughs> and then takes off a masked man. And then he's, you know, he's like looking around, looking around, and then he just goes inside, and then it cuts to the masked man pulling off the mask, and it's Daryl. <laughs> and you just hear the soul glow music, and the movie goes black, and that's it. It's a it's a five minute film. That's all we get. They we might get to set up the, for, for Akeem going to the world court, and then we get Daryl hitting him with the milkshake again. This time on purpose, and that's the movie. That might be all we, we need. Cut there. Oh, I, no. I don't think you need anything else. I feel like anything you do after that ruins it. I feel like the yeah. idea of Daryl finally, after you know thirty-five years, he gets his revenge. And I just want him to have a moment where, like, you just see him on a turntable and his hair's glistening. Like, I just want that moment. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It would be great. I feel like, and even that, if you want to film a whole movie around it just so we get to 90 minutes, cool. You do whatever else you want. But you have that scene as the most important emotional moment in the film because now everything is switched. It's, I, I sent it to Kevin Blackwood, who's an indie wrestler. Uh, out of Buffalo because mm-hmm. he listed himself as one of the top five vegan heroes in the world <laughs> and I told him you either, you either die a vegan hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the vegan villain and of course that was added a photo of Morrissey to it <laughs> vegan villain vegan uh, villain hey, at, the, at, this, at this point it, it's Morrissey is one of those guys where he'll say, you know, I think even his fans would tell you, he'll say one thing they agree with and then they'll say five things where they're like, why did you stop? Why didn't you stop talking? Yeah, why just, did you have to continue? <laughs> yeah, please don't, please don't keep it. <laughs> you, you could have stopped with meat is murder. You didn't have to add in meat is murder, but you know, it's okay to murder everyone else. Yeah. All, all, non, all non-white British people, it's okay. It's like, no, Ma, let's just stop here. We don't like your music enough to put up with this. <laughs> 
Well, Simon, this is the uh, part in the episode where uh, one Mr. Brian Cage is officially given us permission to call Get Your Shit In. Uh, so uh, you can let uh, everybody who isn't already following you know uh, your social media, where they can get your merchandise. Uh, talk about, obviously, uh, Zero Hour coming up this weekend. Uh, the floor is yours, sir. Well, uh, you know what? I, I'm not going to plug any of that. I'm not, because I, I, I will say this. My merch doesn't move, so me plugging it will just make me feel sad. Um, <laughs> though I have some wonderful t-shirt designs over at ProWrestlingTees.com, but, you know, I'm not plugging it at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Simon Says. Uh, anyway, um, I do have some wonderful designs and everything ever sell. Uh, as far as my social media, I, I try to stay off Twitter. I'm on it too much as is, which is why I think I hate the world. Um, but you know what I would like to plug? Sure. Uh, the get your shit in thing actually was, uh, a joke that Brian owned. They, they used to call him, oh, what's Brian's got to get his shit in. That was like the rip when he was in FCW. Right. And as a joke, he started putting uh, GMSI on his trunks. So the Mr. Get Your Shit In stuff. But you know who I once got told you got to get your shit in from? Hmm. Guess. I want you to guess who in professional wrestling told me, hey, you got to get your shit in out there. Bob Evans. Bob Evans. Yeah, well, Uncle, yeah, Uncle Bob could be, but I don't think it was Uncle Bob. Um, it was not. But I feel like You're that's never going to guess it, but I want you to try. I, like, for some reason, Daniel Bryan, like Brian Danielson, like jumps out at me as nope. somebody that would say that. Bigger. Bigger? Um, see, now it definitely seems like something Hogan would say, but I feel like that's almost Bigger. too obvious. Bigger than Hogan? Uh, There's only one. Andre? No. He was dead when I was like 10. Yeah, but I'd say. <laughs> He's I been dead know. for a while, honey. I hate to break this to you. Um, even though I got to see him. I mean, you guys are a hundred. I, I mean, I personally think Flair's bigger than Hogan, but well, then Austin, depending bigger, on... Bigger. Oh, oh, I got I to gotta explain the Austin thing. I told you I was going to destroy your <laughs> fandom of Steve Austin in five minutes or less. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll plug that. Why not? Okay. Um, but uh, no, no, by Vince McMahon himself. Okay. So anyone ever tells you it's not about the moves, it's not. It, it's absolutely about the moves. At the end of the day... No one can tell you, like, and this plays in the Steve Austin thing. Uh, would you say you're a Steve Austin fan? <coughs> I, I would say yes. Sure. Okay, uh, name a Steve Austin promo. Uh, other than Austin 316? We'll start with Austin 316, that's one. Name a second right. one. The beer truck? The, well, that's not really a promo, that was a skit. So, he's talking actual, so like, on-the-mic promo, yeah. but everything else kind of... I feel like it was always, like... A little more off It was, and, and yet people, well, that's the thing. He never talked all that much. Yeah. Right. Austin is someone people credit as being a great promo, but if you notice, the majority of things people recount are actually uh, various bits like the beer truck, the Zamboni, attacking Vince in the hospital, uh, him and uh, Booker T in the uh, in supermarket. In, uh, groceries. Yeah, the supermarket, where if, if you're not aware of this, Booker T's uh, wiener falls out of his pants. Yes. <laughs> his dong falls out. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Austin very rarely talked because he actually wasn't that good of a promo. He was very much a mid-card, traditional Saturday night, June 23rd at the Pacific Amphitheater in uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm going to beat you pillar to post. That's all his promos were. Um, there were very few exceptions. The Monday Night Quill cool one in, in uh, ECW, but again, that was one promo. That right. was basically Paul E. telling him what to say. <coughs> um, 
but he's a guy who's always credited as a great promo, but no, no one can remember a single thing he said. They remember a catchphrase, they might remember a single moment, but the actual promos themselves. Let me, let me ask how good this line is. You want me to buy a cool hand Luke and work within your system? All right, I'll buy a cool hand Luke. That is an actual line from a Steve Austin promo. Right. <laughs> that is a line that, is, that has befuddled me for 20 plus years because even at even being the esoteric film fan I am, I was not thinking, yeah, you know, 1998, if there's one thing these kids love, it's Paul Newman references. <laughs> right, cool. Like lots and lots of these kids, they love that part with George Kennedy and Cool Hand Luke and Paul Newman and eating eggs. Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Austin was basically an overperforming uh, uh, Mid Carter who got pushed really well, and the company got behind. And again, if you notice, like little things, like for example, uh, how many wrestlers swore in that era before Steve Austin started swearing? Uh, before Steve Austin. Um... Probably mm-hmm. almost, many. probably almost yeah. nobody, because that would have been like still kind of. That wasn't. Yeah, when you were a twelve-year-old boy, how cool were swears? Oh God, the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> so, all all Austin did was basically get cheap pops by swearing. Right. Exactly. Again, take the Austin three sixteen promo. Take the word ass out of it. And what do you have? N- n- nothing all that interesting. The fact that he hit it and that popped the whole place is what. I'm telling what, you, I don't. I, like, it was a throwaway. Like, he didn't really think it was anything. Like, the fact that it caught was really random. Like, well, yeah, it, it was wasn't just, out of context. It wasn't the random. line is because he said ass. Right. <laughs> he said the word ass, and that was at a time when people weren't used to hearing that on TV. But there, there was a, a moment in uh, the PC where they tried to do, like, a work shoot thing during one of the, uh, the promo classes yeah. between Shaw Guerrero and Paige. And. <laughs> The whole thing fell apart presentation-wise. Like, they were trying really hard, but it falls apart when Paige says, I've been working my butt off. Ew, who says no that? Is, I'm sorry, adults swear, especially when they're angry. <laughs> right. So I have a hard time imagining that Paige, who has a sailor's mouth, being right. British and the daughter of, of wrestlers. So Soraya Knight she, especially. So. Yeah, so so I don't I don't imagine she would just say the word but when angry. That seemed really silly. But it also exposed the fact that no matter how hard they were trying, this was clearly fake. Right. Right. Same way with a lot of the pro- again with uh, Austin's promos. If you take out the swearing, you realize he doesn't say all that much. It's interesting. A lot of his stuff was very limited. Even as in ring work, you notice that he uh, was never particularly good. But he was very he was very high energy. But yeah. go back and watch even the finish to him and Sean uh, at WrestleMania, which is. Such a nothing finish. It's literally, it's like such a nothing finish. It's shocking how they go from basically like just punch, kick, kicking each other, not even like overly energetically, just like punch, <laughs> kick, punch, kick. Sean goes for the super kick. Austin spins it, boots him, stunner. It's like nothing. It's a nothing finish. It's like a, it's like a house show finish. It's nothing. Um, and even then, the, one of the big myths they built around Austin was uh, him and Brett. That was a night the crowd turned Austin babyface. <laughs> Remember what the finish? Yeah, no, that's Michael Hayes straight up said that in one of the right. Austin documentaries. Now, quick question: What was the finish to him and Brett? Uh, Brett hit him. If you remember, because that's the blood, the blood from the stone finish, where Brett's got him in the sharpshooter, and Austin passes out from blood loss. Now, quick question: Is a baby is a guy passing out in the hold a babyface finish or a heel finish? A heel finish? No, well, no, I mean... It's a heel finish? No. Oh, you're so that's... tough you won't tap out? Yeah, no, that's a baby, yeah. that's a baby face finish. That's... The, the, the biggest misconception in wrestling, in particular with WWE, is the idea that um, 
you can get yourself over. The reality is the company doesn't have to let you do anything. Right. At the end of the day, no matter how good whatever you're selling is, if they don't want you to sell it, you can't. Mm, that's true. You could take you could take you could take Steve Austin and go, "Hey, Steve, no more swearing." Nah. <laughs> and and now the first time he swears, you go, "Okay, Steve, you're off TV for the next six months." That teach you a lesson. <coughs> what does Steve have? Off TV, can't get over. He's off TV, right? Especially not ninety six. Mm-hmm. So what happens a lot of the time is we forget how much the machine being behind someone matters. I genuinely believe you can get anyone over if you're willing to give them time. And by time, I mean literally time in front of the audience. Right. Is this like my Roman Reigns discussion? Like well, that he's, he wasn't I, I great, but he had a great machine behind him? Yeah, oh yeah. Like, well, well, the issue with Roman was that, if anything, the machine being behind him was the problem. Right, well, exactly. Like it made people dislike they, him more. It, it was too obvious. Mm. When, when the shield broke up, Roman kept the gear, Roman kept the entrance, Roman kept the music, Roman kept the merchandise, Roman kept the, even the nickname. <laughs> right. It was so obvious that the shield was meant to push him Wrestling fans might not be smart, but there but there's a certain point where even they pick up on what's going on. Right. So, if, if, even though, again, it was so it, it wasn't just that the because obviously the company pushes everybody. I mean, but for some reason, when it was so heavy handed with Roman, that people got angry about it because they felt like they didn't have a choice. And I, I maintain, if you turned him heel for five minutes, he would have. They would have people would accept him as a baby face. Same thing that happened with The Rock. Right. They booed the, they booed the shit out of him. And the second they turned him heel, and they felt like they had a choice in the matter now, they got what they wanted. Okay, now they're willing to actually listen and pay attention, and now they might start cheering him. Um, mm. But yeah, with a lot of this, again, the company ultimately can control how much your time you're out there, how much time you do. I can't tell you how many matches we had cut short because The Miz went long on his promo. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if The Miz goes over on his promo, there's no consequence. But if we go over on a match, we get in trouble. Right. So this sort of inequity means that ultimately the machine decides who gets to be over and who doesn't. They control it. But the audience really wants to believe it's still them because they buy into a lot of the marketing. I, I, I was mentioning earlier that uh, I came across a, a, a guy making a posting on Twitter about how he thought it was immoral for wrestlers or any celebrity for that matter to charge for an autograph and a photo. Crazy. Yeah, he thought it was immoral. Like it was, you shouldn't, you don't deserve to be famous on any level if you do that. Right. Doesn't even make sense. And I was, well, the thing is, a lot of fans have heard the the wrestling promos over the years where the rest of the babyface wrestler was just trying to be a happy, positive baby. It's like, yeah, we do this for the fans. We love the fans. It's all about the fans. Like wrestling is to a certain extent masturbation where we do it for ourselves right. <laughs> everything you know right any wrestler who does anything it says they're doing it for the fans is a liar they do it because it amuses them because it's fun for them because they enjoy it the rock didn't take the big crazy bump off the stunner because he thought the audience would like it he did it because it amused him i like, hope so because you are putting your body on the line it should at least yeah. be for you right. like yeah and, and that's the truth of it. But again, we, we take a lot of this stuff for granted. And I, it, because people misunderstand that how much control the actual machine has, they see someone like Steve Austin go, well, he was really popular. Yes, but he also benefited from his career being shortened by the neck injury. If Austin's career had gone on five years, ten years longer, oh, would people would have gotten bored with him. Be- right. Because look at what happened. Though. Most guys in wrestling have a run on top of about five years. People forget by 1990, Hogan was considered corny and hokey. Right. 
even even by his fans, and they mm. were struggling to find good opponents for him. Mm. And that's when you start seeing they tried to they tried to lower Hogan down the card right. so he could they could phase him out, and they were going to bring the Ultimate Warrior up. That, uh, and the same way with Austin, he happened to get injured before anyone got bored. Right. So ne- then they're then they're left wanting more because they mm. never got. They never got everything they wanted because he was out. He was out for a good, what was it, six, eight months with a broken neck. Right. Yeah. Which I still think is more on him than Owen because he actually did the exact same spot with Master Chono and broke Chono's neck. Right. So if anyone should have known that wasn't going to go well, it should have been Austin. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> if you if you look at it like that, that that because he was out for that big chunk of time with injury, when he's at his hottest and people wanted him back. And the company still made sure he was on TV, he was doing appearances, he was doing promos, they were still seeing him. Mm-hmm. Even if they weren't the greatest thing in the world, it was, we want to see him back wrestling, we want to see him back wrestling. And when he finally comes back, it's a big deal, but that was 98, 99. Right. And he was done, by two, he was done, he was done in ring basically uh, 2002. Three more years? Yeah. Four yeah. more years? Yeah, people don't realize how short his run was. And the reality of it is, he, because... When we look back on things, we're not really remembering them how they happened. We remember our emotional connection to them and how they made us feel when we were kids. That's why nostalgia is popular. It's not popular because it's good quality. It's because of how it makes you it makes you remember the emotion you felt when you were a child. Right. My older brother my, my older brother said when Hogan did his uh, Mr. America run when he came back and he was tagging with Edge, he put it best. He said, "When the music hits and he makes his entrance, I'm five years old again and I'm cheering Hulk Hogan." Then the bell rings and I'm reminded I'm watching a 55 year old man with a fake hip and a fake knee. Right, exactly. <laughs> or it's even the same with and like that, with like Taker. Like I, I remember mm-hmm. like uh, you know Undertaker being at Shelly and I were at WrestleMania when we were when it was in Orlando and you know we knew the Taker Roman match wasn't going to be like it wasn't going to be a bar. It wasn't going to be like a, a <laughs> classic or anything. But boy, when that when that bell goes, you know, when the bong goes off and and the you know the everything happens yeah you're you're a kid again it's, it's right back to where you started so and he's like the first wrestler i fell in love with as someone who wasn't into wrestling like right. the spectacle of what he did when he came out and and right. like how amazing he was back then was like awe inspiring yeah. so like yeah even when i'm like wow he should have retired a long time ago yeah, like, <laughs> like years ago they did a tour with him uh, overseas and apparently he told uh terry taylor was agenting and he came up to him he said uh Taker, we need 20. And Taker looked at him and went, I got 10 in me. He goes, well, we need 20. And Taker just sighed and said, okay, I'll walk slower. (laughs) (laughs) And he did a 10-minute entrance, just slowly walking around the ring. He apparently refused to add any more time to the match. But he he, he was out there for 20 minutes. He got back, and they are like, okay, that's all we needed. But the funny part is the audience probably ate up every every second of that 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. So. Because again, they're 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 caught up in the idea of what they think they're seeing. Mm-hmm. It's the anticipation and them believing they're seeing something great when it might not actually be that good. Uh, WrestleMania uh, three, go back and watch the Hogan Andre match objectively, and it's rancid. It's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible match on every level. People remember it fondly because of the marketing of it and right. because of the way that it's been talked about since then. But even uh, going back to WrestleMania one, I was blown away when I heard this. Do you know how popular pro wrestling was when they were promoting WrestleMania 1? Do you know know how popular it was on the national scale? Uh, Let me tell you how popular it was. You know the the, uh, promo they did with Hogan uh, jogging at at Venice Beach like Rocky? Yeah. None of those kids knew who he was. (laughs) 
Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me because yeah, that time frame is like it was still at like '83 yeah. when Hogan won the belt. It was still actually fairly regional at the at the time. It was right. still. It was, and by '84 when they they said you know that he's going full swing. By '85 they're setting up for WrestleMania. Um, the reality of it was he wasn't a national celebrity. No one knew who he was. So what they did, what Vince did, was basically create this meat, this myth that wrestling was this hot, popular thing. That's why he brought in the celebrities because yeah. he wanted people to think that they were coming of their own volition. Because wrestling is this cool thing that famous people watch. Because it was easy to market like that back in the day. You still had such a line between celebrities and quote unquote normal people right. that you could, oh wow, Rip Taylor and 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 and. Uh, Liberace watching pro wrestling because what possible interest could Liberace have in a bunch of beefy oiled up dudes like what what possible he must love wrestling it must be great it's like there's a wonderful story about Liberace sending Pat Patterson's parents some free tickets to a show because uh, the person who ran the ticket the ticket booth in uh, San Francisco recognized Pat from when he wrestled there nice Uh, so that is actually a lovely story Um, but uh, oh yeah no it's a very nice man Liberace not Pat (laughs) but but uh, that's uh, that was never mean to me. But they're they're stories. Oh. They're stories. Um, but uh, no. But again, like a lot of this stuff is it's always comes back to the marketing. Um, and they marketed Austin as this grassroots uh, babyface, this you know this grassroots blue collar uh, red blood babyface. And the reality was he was every bit as much of the corporate machine as everybody else. But the machine only works if people don't know it's working. Roman was an example of they knew the machine was working, which is why everyone recoiled. And ironically, the thing that ultimately got him over was the thing he was so resistant to because he'd had leukemia before and he had previously not wanted to talk about it. Like he, he, they, I, um, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, production people I talked to had said that he literally, if you tried to bring it up with him, he would start crying. Like he couldn't control it. Cause you know, 12 years old being told you're going to die. Right. Like that's heavy stuff. So when he had the relapse, it was like, okay, well now I'm an adult. I really kind of have, to, I have an opportunity to be an inspiration to you know these kids that really are suffering through this now. Mm-hmm. And that wound up being the thing that got him over more than anything because the audience had to see him as a human being and not as a product of the machine. Right. Exactly. Which, which is what worked best for him. Austin was the perfect example of an amazing push that, and even his, as anticlimactic as his retirement was, it came. At such a right, at such a perfect time that the audience was still left wanting more. And if you're, if like I'm a big George, like I love George Romero, I love John Carpenter, I love a lot of the like the 70s and 80s exploitation type directors. But if you watch Ghosts of Mars, you know John Carpenter did not was had lost his touch by 1995. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why he got out of filmmaking. He realized it was not he couldn't do it at the level he wanted to do it anymore. Jushin Liger said the same thing. He decided he wanted to retire when he realized like I can't do this at the level I want to do it anymore. Um, because it's better to retire five years too early than five years too late. Exactly. You always want to go out on top. Always. Yep. And that's what Austin did, and that's why people still remember him fondly and don't think of him as basically being what he was, which was a very mediocre mid-card wrestler with an amazing push. Mm. Who beat his wife and fled police for two months. Right. I mean... Everyone forget... Yeah. <laughs> everyone forget... The, look, look, okay, the beating the wife thing, That's he's not the only wrestler to have done that. But I can't think of a single other one who very literally was a fugitive for two months, hiding from the police, before he ultimately turned himself in. Like that, 
to quote Tommy Lee Jones, innocent people don't run, you know? Yeah, so that's true. That's, and he's, I, I guess he's never discussed it in any of his podcasts for all the stuff he's talked about, but uh, I guess X-Pac made a joke about it one time. <laughs> or he said, he said something about, like, you know, then you wind up in trouble, you know, some woman says you hit her, you know how that is. <laughs> and Austin completely, completely no-sold it and just kept going. Right, because, like, Didn't, he's a company he's man. Right. He's not oh, gonna, yeah. yeah, he's not going down on that shit. Like... You know, he'll, he'll never talk about it. Yeah. X-Pac don't give a fuck. Sean is the man like that. Like, he's absolutely like, <laughs> what are you going to do, fire me? Okay, you'll rehire me in six months. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> right, you'll, just, you'll just put me in the Hall of Fame again. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. yeah, sooner or later, you'll want to put, you'll want to put, you'll want to put uh, whatever X-Pac and Kane. Did they have a tag team name? No, I don't think so. It was just X-Pac and Kane, as far as I can remember. So. Well, sooner, well they'll want to put them in as a team eventually. They'll run out of people. They always yeah. do. Yeah. I'm just waiting for when they put X Factor in. That's when we know we're really oh, at man. the bottom of it all. Oh so. wow! <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know, you know you're in trouble when even the song is trying to disavow the group. <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics, the song. I know you hate X Factor. It's like, wow, we're just coming out here. You guys gonna shit on us already? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man, I wish uh, someone had made a song like that about Miz. Uh, that's funny. Okay. Oh, I don't. Oh, I, 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 on a closing story, just because it amuses me, I, I loved complimenting Maurice to Miz about her comedic timing because it, it, I would never, I would never put him over for it. I would always just put his wife over to him for it. It was very fun for me because I'm weird like that. But when they were doing the John Cena Nikki Bella things, so they're like, "Oh man, yeah. let me tell you, Maria, she's she's got great comedic timing." So thank you. Like he's waiting for me there to compliment him. I was like, "Yeah, I mean, Maria, Maria just has this, this great comedic timing. She's so good at that. Like, she really should do more comedy." Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I'll let her know. I was like, yeah, because she's just got great. I would never put him over. <laughs> like I would just, I just keep putting her over, and I'd see that moment where he's like, "Oh, you motherfucker, you're just not gonna put me over, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> like you're just not gonna do it. Like, it would slowly, it would slowly wash over him what I was doing. That I was just gonna keep putting her. Uh, I, I stole it from. Uh, Actually, from uh, Norman Smiley, because when you'd ask him how he thought what, what it was like wrestling Goldberg, you'd go, "Oh man, when he do the entrance, he do the entrance, and you know the smoke and the, the, the sparklers, and you know it's just goosebumps." I'm standing in the ring getting goosebumps. And they're like, "Oh, what was it like to wrestle him?" And they go, "Oh, let me tell you that entrance, man. You know, you get goosebumps. <laughs> the goosebumps. He, he's doing the entrance. Yeah, but Norman, how was he in the ring? Oh, dude, that entrance, man. I was just getting goosebumps. You're like, oh." I see what you're saying about about Gold Goldberg now. <laughs> so. So. Norman is Norman's demand, but anyway, I, I've I've completely got yeah. This is what happens when you give me a live mic for free. That sounds that's okay. Cool. I was like, oh here. my goodness, he is now he's gonna become another host. He has that's spoken okay. we can, more. We can I add a, we can that. add a sixth host along with yeah. the four we have and David Starr and Simon is is more than welcome to be the the sixth the sixth host of the IndieCast whenever he wants. So, uh, so we, you see, this is the, this is, I I don't think I can be the sixth host for one reason. If you have me, Rick, and David Starr, then how can I put this? It's very hard for me when they say Jews control the media, and I say that's not true, and then like slowly you have more and more Jewish co-hosts. <laughs> yeah. That seems a little like, all of a sudden I'm on there, it's like, people, not even everyone even knows that, that I'm Jewish, but it's like, you got Rick, and it's like, oh yeah, then you got David Starr, then you got me, and then all of a sudden it's like, who else do we got? It's like, oh, Dean Malenko's coming in next month, like, oh. <laughs> yeah, then, uh, then we're going to have Goldberg on for a show, Raven, it's like. Cole Cabana. Jews just. Can be, Cole can be Cabana, we're, just all, we're just all slowly overtaking them. Eventually, you get pushed out of your own podcast. You don't know why. <laughs> we, still, we tell you you can have a little podcast on the side that we keep bombing. It's. Oh, oh yeah, I, I, 
just, this is the greatest allegory I think anyone will ever have. That's nice. <laughs> uh, we've, all, we've all been forced out of our own native podcast, so we take over somebody else's podcast. There you exactly. go. I was like, they're just going to take over, assimilate someone else's podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, 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 oh yes, I, I like to, uh, what can I say? I like to, to, to quote, uh, to quote Rodney Dangerfield, I'm here to spread joy. I can only find her. <laughs> Well, and I, Rodney, I will end this episode yes. on a Rodney Dangerfield quote because there's Sounds nothing good. better than go on that one. So, Simon, once again, thank you for being on the IndieCast. For all of our dozens and dozens out there, thank you for listening as always, especially here in the year 2020. Welcome to it, everybody. Uh, uh, until next time, everybody, I am, as always, Chad Allen. I'm Shelly Allen. And as we always like to say, deuces. Oh god, just shove it in my face! I'm ready to greet the day, you fucker! <laughs> Every single one of you guys has made a horrible decision! It's that dirty-ass Meryl Street. We are, we're touching wieners, Not touching wieners you. professionally. Ric Flair said fuck a six-pack, and he never lost an ounce of pussy. What I am is a big, queer, stone-cold Steve Austin. Mom, save vagina!